thanks uh, for being here. I'm going to present a paper I, I'm co-authoring with Matthias Saika, and this is really still very much work in progress. It is part of uh, a bigger project, a five-year project, funded by the European Research Council called The Determinants of International Migration. And as part of the project, we have just completed um, uh, compiling a big uh, bilateral migration flow database covering a whole range of OCD and non-OCD countries containing migration data going back to the 1960s on a bilateral level. We're still in the process of cleaning and getting the database ready, but we thought in the project, because the, sort of the merit of the project is also quite theoretical, to try and look at also on the global level at some of the migration dynamics going on and awaiting the availability of our own new data. We also have policy data sets that we developed. Uh, we started actually using the Global Migrant Origin Database on global bilateral migration stocks to look at some of these patterns. What patterns can we detect over the last 50 years? And are there already some lessons in terms of you know, what theory tells us about how migration should have evolved over the last 50 years if we think about processes of development, uh, globalization, uh, increasing interconnectivity in the world, and what we see actually in reality. Now, a sort of classic migration systems view is this idea, again, sort of promoted by Mabagunja first and many others later. It's this idea that one form of exchange between countries or places, such as trade, migration, exchanges of ideas, is likely to engender other uh, types of flows between those places or countries. And, um, I mean, this is also linked to this notion of a flow generates a counterflow. So a migration flow almost inevitably generates a counterflow of people because social ties are being forged between countries. Not just return flows, but also flows from the initial country of settlement back to the country of origin of the initial settlers. So we see an increasing interconnectedness between societies. I think on top of that, a lot of what has been written on globalization sort of ticks the same boxes, this idea of increasing interconnectivity between societies as a result partly of technological advances, but also a general drive towards less protectionist policies, should have sort of encouraged migration exchanges between societies as well, as part of that broader process of change. Um, and I think within the same line of argument is this idea that networks are helpful in lowering costs and risks of migration, facilitating the diffusion of the migration experience, not just only within communities in terms of initially perhaps relatively well-off people were able to migrate, giving the chance to other people who are less well-off, poorer, to also migrate, but also this idea migration spreads over space, perhaps starts in relatively well-enclosed regions or countries, and later on other places, more marginal places, are added on. So we sort of see like Wilbur Zelinsky had his vision of migration as a social-spatial diffusion process. Um, and from that you could hypothesize that we should see an increasing equilibrium, or if you want to call it reciprocity of flows between origins and destinations when migration systems mature and connections become stronger. So what may start with one flow should generate a stronger counterflow, and we should see a sort of balancing out. And it's interesting to go back to the older literature, like Lee's article about how origins and destinations are interconnected and how people overcome those obstacles. He didn't use terminology like networks, but if you read it, he was talking about it. Um, this is from Zedlinski's seminal article on the mobility transition. And again, it's this vision of 
migration starting with settlement, generating counterflows between a colonizing nation and a colonized nation, and societies becoming increasingly intertwined. And uh, Zelinsky also had this idea, he is the origin of the idea that, you know, transitions like demographic transitions, economic transitions, which we would now call modernization, which he called a vital transition, goes along with more migration. And if we have a very sort of first snapshot on a descriptive level of le uh, level of levels of out and immigration, if we take the stocks as a proxy, we clearly see the pattern that sort of Zelensky already predicted of uh, development uh, going along actually initially much higher volumes of out migration and we could link that to sort of more micro notions of development enabling more people to move and perhaps uh, giving more aspirations of people to move quite counterintuitive in many ways so it's linked to this idea of migration transitions but again you see here what starts with one predominant migration then starts to be counterbalanced on a country level by a counterflow and again we see more balancing out of migration patterns now, on a theoretical level, there are a few counter-arguments. You can say this may not be the case in reality, or there may in some countries, in some migration corridors, be countervailing tendencies. I mean, already Mampagunya talked and observed the geographically clustered nature, totally non-random nature of migration processes, partly linked to the network dynamics and other migration system dynamics, which encourage very specialized migration flows between particular places of origin and particular places of destination. But you could also argue these sort of functionalist models that I just presented ignore structurally embedded international power inequalities. Just think about migration policies, for instance, which sort of impose certain rules uh, upon migrants quite one-sidedly. And if we go back to sort of what Myrdal wrote in the 1950s on community causation, it's this idea that without strong state policy, capitalist development is marked by increasing welfare inequalities. We don't see an automatic leveling out of sort of levels of development. We cannot just expect that any form of exchange, whether it's capital, ideas, goods, or people, leads to increasing equilibrium. He sort of um, questioned that whole idea, and that economies of scale perpetuate a vicious circle of poverty in the periphery and accelerated growth of the core, although his book was not on migration, but migration can, can be seen as one of the elements of those forms of unequal exchange. And of course, this comes quite close to more neo-Marxist ideas and, and world systems ideas about development. But also Martin and Taylor, they've written about the migration hump, and they sort of argued if structural inequalities can perpetuate situations of relative underdevelopment, it can lead to a sort of migration plateau where a country like Mexico keeps on exporting labor force without seeing strong sort of equilibrium um, conditions arising. So, Perhaps it's probably an illusion to talk about a level migration playing field. If you look at migration rules, it's pretty clear where exit restrictions have been massively abolished, entry restrictions have gone up, particularly for lower skilled migrants from poor countries. And there is some micro evidence emerging that networks do not necessarily lead to diffusion, but can also lead to concentration of migration, sort of monopolization of migration experiences. Um, particularly when it happens under very, very high constraints. So access to networks can be very selective. And a recent paper I've, I've written with, uh, with Matthias Zeika, we tried to detect sort of global changes in global migration patterns. And there, besides the observation that there has not really been an acceleration or diversification of migration per se, the basic pattern what we see is that migrants from an increasingly diverse 
array of origin countries tend to cluster and concentrate increasingly in a, a shrinking number of prime destination countries. So we see the global migration map becoming more skewed instead of less skewed. So this is just some, some observations on the global level. Now, this paper tries to build upon that work by looking at the extent to which migration has remained concentrated in particular corridors and whether migration corridors have become more sort of reciprocal over time, so whether the, the, the imbalance between in and outflows has become uh, lower. And, and, and this speaks to this idea that we need to move beyond volumes as well and also include other spatial dimensions of migration patterns. So we have looked at intensity of migration, but also the geographical spread of inflows and outflows, and on the average distance migrants tend to travel. And this brings me to another point. It is quite often argued in the migration literature that migration processes are so complex that it's, we can basically throw in the towel in terms of theorizing. And, but of course, something that's complex doesn't mean there are no patterns, and I think migration in particular is quite a strongly patterned process and that has been mentioned by many uh, migration scholars. Um, so complexity doesn't mean that there's chaos, but that just patterns are intricate and multi-layered, and I think that's what we're talking about. Now, in an attempt to disentangle the sort of complexity, we, we, we identified three main dimensions. Looking at each single country, in the data set, and we use the global migrant origin data set of the World Bank, which, which have bilateral stocks from 1960 up to 2000. We looked at the intensity of our migration, so this is basically a percentage of population living abroad and migrants as a percentage living in a country. We looked at spread. I'm not going to give you the formula of the different measures, but we used the inverse Herfindahl index. If you're interested, you can read our paper. It's a measure for, to measure the relative concentration of migrants across a whole range of potential destinations in the whole world, so how concentrated migration is, or how spread out is it. And the same for immigration, so from how diverse an array of countries migrants come from, or do they only come from one or two countries. And we looked at the average distance, and also here we used some adaptations, but I don't think it's, I'm going to waste time too much on the, on, the, on, the, on the way we calculated it. Again, I can refer to the paper for that. Now, we used a global migrant database, and we looked at effects of those different dimensions. And we used a 10-year lag in order to, to have some sense of causality, and we used country and time dummies. And what I'm showing in this diagram is the different dimensions where we found significant effects. And what I'm trying to go do, and what I'm trying to do is trying to give some tentative interpretation of the effects we found on the relations between different dimensions and to which theories they seem to speak. First of all, we found a significantly a strong uh, effect of migration intensity on emigration distance and the other way around. Um, and you could perhaps interpret that as this idea that migration is a spatial temporal diffusion process. So more people start migrating out and at the same time we see they go further away. So it speaks to this Zelinsky model of spatial temporal expansion. We also saw a positive effect of the intensity of out-migration, so the rates, or the, the, I, I must be precise, it's not migration rates, it's about the stock as a percentage of population over time, has a positive effect on immigration intensity, which seems to speak to this idea that if we see people moving out, if a country starts to export or uh, starts to generate out-migration, you also see more people coming into the country. It seems to speak to this idea. 
then we also see a negative relation between immigration intensity and immigration spread, which is interesting. And it may be, although this is now causal proof, I think, it may indicate some patterns where we see if migrant migration systems evolve, we may find this sort of bundling process, that it's beyond some point migration starts to specialize on particular destinations. We also see a positive relation between the spread, so the relative diversity of, of, of origin countries and the average distance where migrants come from. And again, it seems quite intuitive, this finding. Again, it speaks to this idea of migration, also immigration of a diffusion process. We also find a positive relation between the spread of immigration and the spread of emigration. And again, it seems to speak to this idea of reciprocity. If you start to receive migrants from an increasingly diverse array of origin countries, we see counterflows, and we see also an increase in diversity of flows to those origin countries. Uh, we, also, we see a negative effect between immigration distance and emigration distance, which is interesting. But perhaps if you think about this migration transition idea, you may imagine I thought about my country, the Netherlands, where in the 1950s and 1960s, um, people tended to migrate to Australia and far away, and the Holland was a poor country. Now, Holland started to attack, attract more migrants, and if Dutch moved abroad, it would be mainly within Europe, so the average emigration distance decreases. We see a positive relation between the spread of emigration and the average distance of emigration, and this again seems to speak to this idea of the, the diffusion process. We find a negative relation between the distance of emigration and the intensity of, um, of immigration, and again it seems to speak to this idea of migration transitions. Now all of this is obviously very tentative, I'm not going, this is more thinking about what may be going on, but we see some mixed things and mixed interpretations, so it's not entirely convincing to me. The interesting finding, by the way, is that there was no single variable that had a significant effect on emigration intensity. And this made us think, how can we explain that? And perhaps it is because emigration is embedded in much broader processes of development, uh, which indeed generate migration, as already hypothesized by Sabinsky and others. Now, this is all very tentative. It's not flow data. Um, uh, but it's, there seems to be a certain sequencing, as predicted by, the, by several theories, if, if you look at those patterns, both along intensity, spread, and distance of, of migration. And flows and counterflows indeed seem to be related, but in quite complex and but very patterned way. But it's not a simple story of more outflows means more inflows, although generally we see that. And there's very mixed sort of tentative evidence here for this diffusion idea, this idea of transitions, but on the other hand, we also see those bundling processes of increasing specialization. But by, by any means, it shows that immigration processes are fundamentally different from outflows, and we need to look at these things separately. In a lot of literature, they're taken together, we really need to look at them separately. The sequencing is different, and also the patent relations are different. However, if we look at the global level, Actually, some interesting patterns are, and these are the last few slides I'm going to show you. We see some other interesting, because there may be things going on on a global level which we cannot measure on a bilateral level, like we talked about globalization, on this idea. So are there sort of global patterns changing? Now, if we look on the country level, and, and this is countries and territories, so 226 in the database, we see that the average 
number of non-empty migration corridors has increased over time, according to this data. So it, it seems to speak to the idea that the migration connectivity overall has increased. It seems to tick the box of globalization, and the connectivity has increased of migration. But if we look at the average numbers of significant origins, and we define that as 1% of the, or higher of the total immigration population counts as a significant origin country, and the same for destination countries, we don't see a big change. So some very small corridors have been added on, which may even count 10, 100, or 150, but the number of significant origins has re remained relatively stable. And one might wonder whether those non-empty corridors uh, were some of the empty corridors in the past were actually not empty and we just have started to measure migration better. But we see a remarkable uh, pattern of stability and obviously still we see that migration is very much concentrated in just less than 300,000 corridors counting more than 100,000 migrants. They represent just over half percent of all corridors but they capture 70% of all world migrants. And since 1960 up to now that hasn't changed much, the global distribution. So it is a very concentrated pattern. Now we also have looked at the reciprocity of those migration stocks. And for instance, the first line shows all corridors in the world have more than one million migrants. So here we talk about Turkey, Germany, Mexico, US, and so on and so forth, Algeria, France. We see that the number has slightly increased over time from 13 in 1960 to 2000 in uh, 2000 from 22 and 2000, but the gap, and this is actually the imbalance between flows, has actually increased from 38 on average percent to 57 percent. And we see that pattern actually replicated also over the smaller corridors. And the overall imbalance of migration corridors on the global level has slightly increased. So we don't see there any evidence on the global level using migrant stock data with all the imperfections, but at least from this data, we don't see any processes of sort of leveling out of migration becoming more reciprocal. So obviously in future iterations of this analysis, we want to start using flow data, and we want to more specifically test for the effect of immigration restrictions on these patterns, because we suspect that whether you look at migration within the OECD or from non-OECD to OECD countries, you may find very different patterns. Um, but that would allow us to, to give more nuance to this analysis. And although connectivity has increased, the global migration map has not become flatter. And this sort of seems to undermine this, this assumption that the world has become a more level playing field in terms of migration. And yes, more players or countries have entered the playing field. There's more connectivity. But the playing field has become actually less level. Migration flows have become more skewed to particular destinations. And this seems to reflect the asymmetric nature of global migration processes and the sort of unequal terms of migration imposed upon poorer countries by wealthy nations. Thank you very much.